Welcome to the Feeding the Starving Artist podcast. My name is Rick Goodstein, and with me is... Ron McCurdy. How you doing, Rick? I'm doing great. Ron, how was your week? Oh, good week, good week. Raring to go right now, though. Sounds good. I had a good, a great day Sunday. We went to uh, the Brevard Music Center, which I've been familiar with. Um, my daughter, Jessica, was a horn student there a few years ago. And uh, anyway, we attended a concert. Uh, it was the closing concert of the season. It was Verity's Requiem. And mm. I tell you, it was amazing because uh, if you know the piece, it's full orchestra, full choir. There was 250 musicians on stage. And it really, just the quality of the music, the quality of the performance all the way around, um, 250 students on stage with the faculty up there. And um, the conductor and artistic director of Brevard Music Center is Keith Lockhart. And you may know that name. He's the um, artistic director of the Boston Pops. And he was a student at the Brevard Music Center back in the day. And um, so I've, I've been familiar with Brevard for a long time. And it's only about a half hour from here. So we had the opportunity to attend it. And, and it really renewed my enthusiasm for the uh, future of the arts to see all these young people on stage, amazing musicians. They go from, I'd say, ninth grade through college. And I'd say the classical art form is in good shape because the mm. the place was full and the music and the artistry it was just amazing. So it really kind of gave me some hope for the future as far as uh, classical music is concerned. Yeah, yeah. And that's always a challenge, you know, because when you're, when you're, when you're recreating what has already been done, that most people are familiar with, how do you how do you keep people excited about that? But I think, like you said, having young people, having this very vibrant conductor on stage, and just repackaging things in a way that makes it more appealing, is such a great idea. So I'm, so I'm glad you had a great experience. Yeah, and when I was um, administering the Brooks Center for the Performing Arts at Clemson University, we always talked about building audiences for the future. And I tell you, if you have a quality product, people will come. So that, that gave me great, great hope. So anyway, I just wanted to share that with you and with our listeners out there. Well, let's see. Today, we want to talk a little bit about uh, self-management. Mm. We're calling this self-management. You can do it. You can do now, it. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes you have to do it if you want to have any gigs or so. I was reading uh, an article that was in Downbeat Magazine several years ago about a group called Snarky Puppy. This was back in 2016. And uh, their leader, Michael Rieg is his name. Uh, they were all students from, from the University of North Texas. They had a vision for what the group was going to be. They languished for probably three or four years before people, before they appeared on anybody's radar. They were playing, in fact, they made the comment that they were playing in some venues where there were more people on stage than there were in the audience. <laughs> so that gives you a sense of, of, of how they struggle. But what they pride themselves in is being an independent group. They, at, at the time, had their own record label. They were doing their own bookings. And after they gained some notoriety, then, of course, they were able to obtain, you know, a, a, higher, a higher level of, of, of management. But for most artists, you will find yourselves in a situation where you are unknown, you're unproven, and most managers or agents, they want people who are already a proven quantity. 
And that's where the challenge becomes. You it's know? chicken or the egg, right? What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, how are we going to do this? I mean, how, how do I get discovered if I haven't, if no one knows who I am, if I haven't done anything? So you got to do something, be recognized in order to get management. But in the interim, you may have to be your own manager or slash agent. And that has its own skills, right? I mean, you have to understand the business. We talk about being an artist, entrepreneur. That's the first step is understanding how you can make, you know, monetize your art. You need to make sure your project is ready. You got to beta test your project with your friends, your family, your mm-hmm. network, that, to make sure that you are in a place that um, you're ready to go, if you will. And you're right, because they'll tell you the truth, hopefully. Your parents may not tell you the truth. Yeah. But you're free. Your parent, your mom's gonna say no, no matter what you do. She go, oh, that's my baby. You sound so good. You look so good. This is wonderful. But a friend would tell you, well, you know what, Ron? That didn't quite land very well. Yeah. You might want to go back and back to Plan B on that one. So you're right. Beta testing is always a good idea. And you got to have people who will tell you the truth, because with that truth comes the power. If you just have, oh, everything's great. And nobody else does it. If mom and dad say, oh, let's go do that. Go do that. Maybe be rich and famous. <laughs> and it doesn't work like that. So let's assume that you have crafted something that's really good. And, I, and, and we all know there are probably just drills around the country, around the world, actually, that's sitting collecting dust. Because for whatever reason, it didn't get the recognition or the opportunity to be seen or heard by the right people. Uh, again, I go back to the study we talked about with the Juilliard School from years ago. I have to believe that if people under, better understood the artistic landscape, they would have had a better chance of being able to mount and sustain a career. So the first thing we want to do is to be able to articulate the scope of your project. What have you done? What script have you written? What's the story about? Who are the primary characters? What's the ensemble configuration? And so if, if you're able to do that in a very succinct way, then you've got your foot in the door because you want to, you want to, you have one opportunity to make a first impression. That's it. So when you speak to a presenter, you want to be able to really articulate your, your project in a way that makes sense to them because you are probably the 50th call they've gotten that day, <laughs> you know, and they That's don't right. have time. They don't have time to be messing around. What you need is an elevator pitch, something that you're able to encapsulate your project in a way that resonates with somebody who's never known you, never heard from you, and you can excite somebody with the scope of your project on a 45-second pitch, Mm -hmm. if you will. And, you you know, looking at Shark Tank or these other things where you have to throw down a pitch, (laughs) that's so true for all of us. That is so true. I remember when I first started, uh, when I moved to Los Angeles, Back in 1999, I'm sorry, yeah, 1999 when I moved here, and I had had my Langston Hughes project was in Minneapolis, and, I, and my the, the our piano player, his wife was a booking agent, so she booked our gigs, but then they divorced, and when she di- <laughs> when she divorced him, she divorced us too. Yeah, that was the end of that. <laughs> so I moved to LA, and I found this woman who was a a manager, I mean an agent, and she had never done uh, jazz type things before but I was paying her a $500 a month retainer. So this goes on for about six months, no gigs. I'm going like, wait a minute, this the, there's, no, there's no real incentive for you to book any gigs because you're getting paid no matter what happens. So as it turned out, long story short, I've realized that this dog's not going to hunt. This is not, <laughs> this is not working for me. 
So I asked her, I said, well, so what did you do? So how do you figure out who, who do you call? And she said, well, first you want to figure out what your, your niche, your, your, your niche market. Like in other words, who is most likely to hire your group? Is it schools? Is it museums? Is it libraries? What is it? You know? So you go back and forth until you figure out which of those venues will most, most likely hire you. Then you come up with a 30 second, like you said, elevator pitch. And I remember having, I would say, hi, this is Ron McCurdy. I'm calling on behalf of the Langston Hughes Project. This is a multimedia presentation involving music, spoken word, and videography that chronicles the Harlem Renaissance. Have you begun your cultural planning for the year? If not, may I please send you some information about the Langston Hughes Project? Perfect. It's compelling. Yeah, that's all you need to know. It sounds like you've given that bitch before, Ron. <laughs> <laughs> Only a few thousand times. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> but, I mean, you it, it just rolls off your tongue so naturally, and this is something you've got to practice and because you've got that one chance. You've got yes. one first chance. So, anyway, that's critical, and, and network it and record yourself and video yourself. Do it in a way <laughs> that you can let it just... Uh, roll off your tongue as simply and easily as yours yours just did. And I think, you know, b back in the old days, as you probably recall, if you were doing that, you would send someone a press kit, hard copy. It would have some headshots. It might have a list of uh, testimonials. It might have your CD. Yeah. All those things are obsolete nowadays. And all to say, if you don't have a presence on the Internet, on social media, you are invisible to the artistic world. They can't find you, you, you don't exist. So the first thing I think that, that you wanna do after you have your project, your product ready to go, you wanna establish your presence on the internet. You wanna have a Facebook page, which in itself is almost dated, or Instagram or TikTok, or some of those other platforms that will let people, or iCloud, where people can find what you're doing and they can find it all in one place. And you've got to make sure that your materials show off the best of what you can do. I've seen so many press kits or virtual or digital press kits that really aren't very good. And that's not yeah. going to help your case. Yeah. If people have to find things, if it's hard to navigate your website, if you're, if you're type, you know, for a pair of eyes, like people, people's eyes our age, if you're using a very small font, they'll give up. <laughs> you know, yeah. so I would recommend using a, a large font where people can read it, where, where it's, again, very succinct, it's not too wordy, your grammar, your punctuation, all those things are in place. If, if you've got misspelled words, that reflects on just how serious you are as an artist. And there's another thing. Have it checked by multiple people. Don't count yes. on just because you'll read the same mistakes over and over and stick that extra word in your head where it's not there. So exactly. I've learned that the, the hard way that have it proofread by multiple people. I think I was about to say the same thing. You took the words oh. right out of my mouth. <laughs> That's so important though. You're right, because you, when you, you're looking at something, you won't catch those mistakes. But having, I know in your case, you have a wonderful editor living in your house with you. <laughs> well, yeah, this is true. <laughs> so I would imagine when you, when you were Dean and you had, you know, you would send a, you know, an email to the faculty or staff, you might have, one proof it before you send it out because again you send something out and you've got your, your subjects and verbs don't agree or you misspell a word you put d t h e i r rather than t h e r e all of a sudden it reflects on just how serious you are as an artist when you have those kinds of mistakes in your in your in yeah your... it helps it helps having um 
a wife who's an English major, and I've been <laughs> shot down so many times. She said, well, that sounds really stupid. You might want to redo that. <laughs> you know, the another thing, Ron, is that make sure you're shooting for the right venue. If you're an artist, you don't want to think, oh, I want to put this uh, painting or this piece of sculpture in the Met. <laughs> you got to think, mm-hmm. oh, I might visit the you know a gallery in town. Or you might want to send your first manuscript to uh, multiple editors to make sure that you're kind of trying to distribute your work in an appropriate venue for your first work. So making sure that the venue is what you are most likely to to hire your work and and to monetize your work. What I also suggest is find groups or ensembles that are similar to what you're doing. Like go on on their website and look at their tour schedule, look at where they're performing. Because that'll give you a sense of what venue would be most appropriate for what you're doing by finding groups who, who, who are similar to what you're having, to what you're doing. And if you can do that, then all of a sudden you can, you can target that, that those particular individuals. I think it's also as you're doing that, you begin to build your own database. And I tell you, the executive director or the artistic directors, their email address and phone number is golden. If you have that information, you can, I mean, I, what I typically do is send an email out first with, with a, you know, a, a description of my project, and then I will give them a chance to read it, and then I will go back and I will follow up with a phone call. And, and, and this is where it gets a little tricky because there's a thin line between being persistent and being a pain in the ass. Yeah, that is. <laughs> and one of the things that I've learned is um, making sure that you write this stuff down, because I can't remember, oh, did I call this presenter Last week, mm-hmm. or was it two weeks ago, did I give her enough time to review my materials? And making notes every time you make a call and a follow-up, the uh, notion of a database is, is critical. You, learning how to use Excel uh, or some mm-hmm. of these database programs is something that you can help consolidate mm-hmm. all the work that you've done. And don't count on your memory because you've got all of us have a thousand things that are going at the <laughs> same time. I use a program called Evernote. And Everdoe, I've, I've had it set up the way I can list who I call, when I call them, and what I actually say. If I make notes, as soon as I talk to someone, I make a note. I call this person on this particular day. They said, yes, they're interested. Or they said, no, we're not interested. We're booked for the season. Call back next year. So I make a little note. And I and I and what I found that, that, that many of these positions do uh, evolve. People leave, obviously, particularly after the pandemic. But the phone numbers don't change. The names and email addresses change, but the phone numbers don't. So well, I've sent emails out to people. I get a whole bunch of them bounce back because they're saying this person no longer works at this particular venue anymore. So I, I call I call the number and say I was trying to get a hold of who, you know, the artistic director. May I send you some more information about the project? But my point of all of this is it's important to follow up. And I think one of the things that many artists who find themselves having to be both their manager slash agent and artistic director of their own business of one, how do you balance both of those? And I say you have to be just as vigilant on the business side as you are on the artistic side. And that includes being communicative on the backside. So if you do get someone who's interested in your project or actually expresses, uh, you know, gets a contract to you, 
how important that thank you note is, how important the follow-up saying, I appreciate that, we are going to move forward, and there's an art to uh, saying thank you. And if you don't, I think you're missing out on a great opportunity to stay in someone's you know, memory and say, God, that was really professional. I like doing business with Ron. I, I think this is going to be great. His work is great, but he's also so professional in the way he handles things. We might be able to do business together into the future. That's, that's such a great point, Rick. I cannot tell you how many repeat performances I've had because people said, you know what? He was kind. He was gracious. His band was kind. They said, please, thank you. Nobody yelled at the sound man. Nobody complained because they didn't have the right avion water in the, in the green room. They, they were, you know, so the goal is always to have to be able to come back a year or two years later. And you only get that, like you said, by being, by being, you know, the, you know, the, the, the basic tenets of life, do unto others. <laughs> when, when we had the Brick Center, we, we couldn't afford, um, the highest, you know, the best artists in the world, but we wanted to have every artist remember us as providing what I just called Southern hospitality. We wanted to make yes. sure uh, they're greeted at the stage door. We want to make sure that we do have water in the dressing room. We want to make sure that the uh, audio engineer asks about their needs up front. We have the stage set. The plot is um, laid out in a way that their tech writer shows you that you needed to do. But at every step of the way, be a professional. Be someone who you would think that they want to work for you or you don't want to work for them. And it's the mm -hmm. idea that, you know, customer service is the most important thing that you can do besides your actual art or your program. And on the artistic side, I'll tell, I should always tell my band members, look, you are a reflection of me. If you're having a problem with something, come talk to me first. Let me handle it if I can. But I do not want you yelling at the sound technician. I don't want you yelling at anybody associated with this particular venue because your behavior reflects directly on me. So again, that's, that's another important thing. I think another thing that's important, usually after concerts, the presenter likes to have a reception for the artist. And they do this, and they do, and they do this also for the donors. Like for example, where they might be State Farm or Bank of America may sponsor the concert. They want to have a little social event after the concert. They invite you to come as the artist. The answer is always yes. Now, I, I know after a concert, what you want to do is probably pack up your stuff and go home. But that one moment of your going to a reception and talking to the patrons who put the money up to make it possible for you to have your presentation, it's worth your half hour or 45 minutes of being there where you get to at least share with the presenters and the patrons your gratitude for them underwriting your opportunities to present your art. That, that's so important. And not only just don't just show up, but be engaged, yes. work the room, make sure you <laughs> say thank you to everybody. Sometimes the presenter will say, Hey, Ron, would you like to say a few words? And uh, mm -hmm. absolutely. And if you know that the performance was sponsored by State Farm or the showing was sponsored by, you know, somebody, you thank them. You thank if you can remember the people's names and you go out there and you don't sit at the um, food table or the drink table and just sit there and work into it, you know, be <laughs> <laughs> we've all seen that where you're just sitting there. And, <laughs> but you've got to, you know, work the room. You can eat later. You know, another half hour won't matter. 
And, and people love to talk to the artist. They want to know, well, what kind of horn is that? What do you, how do you do this? What, and how did you get this idea? And people love it. And it will pay dividends down the road. Absolutely. And these are skills that you have to work on. I mean, not everyone's an extrovert. Some people have a very difficult time walking into a room and introducing themselves to strangers or shaking someone with a nice firm handshake and looking them directly into, the eye, into their eyes. That's hard for some people to do that. But like you just said, those are skills that are so important because I, because that will allow you to be, you will, you, will, you will ingratiate yourself with those who have hired you to come in and make your presentation. So I highly encourage those skills that you really work on, those, those kinds of skills. Absolutely. You shake hands, you say thank you, you look people in the eye, and you be sincere. And so many artists that we know don't have those skills, and you got to you know, fake it till you make it in a way, because it's critical. Yeah. People don't want to, you know, if you're aloof and don't pay attention and, and you don't show up, that, that follows you just as much as being uh, professional and being a nice, uh, you know, a nice guy, a nice woman who people will remember. And they might buy your CD. They might buy a print. They might buy your book next time. I have never booked a gig where I've called someone one time Anyway, yes, this was great. We'll do it right now. Here's the contract. It doesn't work that like is, that. That no. has never happened to me. <laughs> Maybe I need to work on my presentation a little better, but that has never happened. It usually comes at the end of at least 10, 15, sometimes 20 phone calls before they say yes. It goes back and forth, and there's horse trading. Um, sometimes I have called them. I leave a voicemail that I've called, and I, I never make, I never rumble on. Just say who I am, why I'm calling, and ask them to please give give me a call back. I leave my phone number. When they call me back, sometimes I may be in class and can't answer my phone. And this is another important thing for those with, with your with your greetings on your on your cell phone. Try to avoid having a long piece of music that plays before you say something. Like don't entertain, don't use your 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 voicemail as a mode of entertainment for someone else. And I've called people before where I've got to listen to 30 seconds of a song, and then they come on with, yo, 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 this is Ron, what up, what up? <laughs> and all of a sudden, because again, you're being perceived as a professional. And so you want, your, your, just like your oral presentation is for saint, you want your greetings on your phone to be the same way. Hi, this is Ron McCurdy. I'm director of the Langston Hughes Project. I'm sorry I missed your call. But please give me a call back. I'll, I'll give you a call once I receive this message, blah, 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 whatever. So that's, that's kind of how it has to be. But it's all about being a professional. And part of that is respond within one business day. Don't let it drag on three. You might be busy. You might be at the beach. Well, take 10 minutes, find a quiet place, and return that call. Because out of sight is out of mind. And in the way, you just want to get it done. And you want to get that next conversation. You want to start to negotiate and say, well, what do you need? When can we come? And it's so many different levels of negotiation. You got to understand, well, are they interested? Can you find a date? What's the, uh, what's the bill? What's the contract going to be? So it, if you don't, if you're not proactive on your end to returning the call or, or the email, either way, people are going to lose interest in your yeah. project. Because you are probably one of maybe ten acts that they're pro that, they're, that they're looking at booking, and so the question becomes: What can you do to distinguish your act 
from the milieu of other acts that are also vying for the same one gig. Exactly. And and you want to be the one that they want to, you know, they want to hire. So being professional, and I can't tell you how important that is. It's how you speak, how you present your materials, how you follow up, how you meet the, uh, after the, everything, how you meet the stage part or the production team, all those things are critical. Yeah. I think one other thing too, as as we often say, you're going to be told no far more than you're going to be told yes. (laughs) <laughs> you know, until you reach that Winton Marcellus, Yo-Yo Ma, uh, Manuel, from you know, that level where you where you're doing those kinds of level of, of presentations. So when someone tells you no, they're not interested. You're very gracious. You don't get upset. You don't ask them well, why not. <laughs> you don't. You don't do that. You, you just say thank you so much for your time. We'll try back maybe next year. You always leave the door open. Because if you don't do that, they remember how you were on the phone. Then then they don't take your calls at all. They don't don't respond to your emails. So you always want to leave the door open. And if they show some interest, then you have the opportunity to, then the door is open to follow up. You know, saying, oh, we're booked this year or we can't do it. Those dates aren't going to work for us. But let's keep talking. Let's, let's. And so you have to, in your database, figure out how are you going to follow up with them when, what's the right you know, you don't want to do it next week. You might want to say their season is booked. So let's go uh, in three months and let's say, hey, are, are you thinking about next year yet? Remember, we would love to come. And, you know, another another very important thing to think about is the timing of when do you make, make your pitches. For example, if you're trying to be on certain festivals that take place in the summertime, right now in the month of August, September is when directors are making decisions about summer of 2024 exactly you know or as you know like during the apap conference in january they're making plans during that time they're getting their rosters filled out in january maybe a little bit into february but mostly january is the time and you would know that i would rick about that of how most concert series after they get back from the apap conference they begin to make, you know, to fill out their schedules for the for the subsequent year. Yes, you want to really fit. I mean, presenters will want to finish up their calendar, you know, by midwinter at the latest because they've got to send all their materials into their uh, media outlets. They've got to prepare their website for the next season. They got to do their calendars. They've got to do all this prep to present their next season, which usually falls along the lines of a school calendar. So thinking about August or September would be when the season starts. Well, you've got to back up six months from that to make sure that you're ready to go. You got to send your stuff out to, to ever, all your partners, your, your publicity people to make sure that you're, um, you're going to get your material as a presenter. You want to make sure you sell out your season or as close to it as you can. And so yeah. your materials have to be professional and that just takes time. What you just said, sell out which is such a important operative word here because presenters while they may like what you're doing it's a business deal i mean they have to want to they have to balance their budgets they can't bring in an act that's going to only fill up a third of the hall you know sometimes sometimes they can subsidize they can bring in a group that they know it's not going to be a sellout but from an artistic standpoint it's something that they feel strongly about because they know that it's good for the you know, good for the culture, good for the for their patrons and what have you. 
But by and large, I would I would imagine most presenters want to go with excellent that they know is going to have a tremendous draw in terms of having the house filled. Absolutely. And we at Clemson, we needed to balance things that we knew would sell out. We might do a Broadway tour to bring in. We know will sell out. But we needed to balance that with maybe a modern dance show, a Palopolis, something like that, that we know wouldn't won't sell out. But we need to, we're the artistic kind of uh, stage for the community. So we yeah. needed to, where we made money, we would uh, invest it in other cultural opportunities. We knew that a, a symphony orchestra might sell out and, and a jazz trio might not. So right, we were right. balancing, making sure that we were kind of well-rounded, if you will, uh, for our season to make sure that it balanced. And at the end of the day, you do have to, it is a business and we had to come out in the black at the end of the day. One thing that we didn't have in our outline, but I think is important on, on the business side of things, and that has to do with block booking. Now, when you are an artist and you, let's say you land your, your anchor date in the Chicago area, what you do, you take out the map and you look at venues that, that was probably within a hundred mile radius of your anchor date. And you book those particular, as many possibilities of dates as you can around that anchor date at a certain time. So let's say you're flying from Los Angeles into O'Hare. You're going to be there for like a week. You rent your vehicle and, you, and you're, you're, you're starting out in Chicago or wherever. And then for around that date, you're able to book other dates. Why is that important? Because you're not having to zigzag around the country. And you're, you're flying in with, let's say you have a quintet or a sextet. This way, all of a sudden, you're allowed to fly in, pick up the rental car, and you, you, you're, you're traveling from one venue to the next. And if you've got five or six gigs, then all of a sudden, you're doing quite well. And, that's, and, that, and that allowed you to, to maximize your, your appearances there. From the presenter's standpoint, we would always look at our local art centers that were in Charlotte and Atlanta. We we're about halfway. So if we knew a big act was coming, we were about halfway. We could get that act on a weeknight for maybe half the cost of mm -hmm. a, a larger city. And we were always looking at that. And that's a way we could maximize who the artist was with a price that our you know our ticket buyers would be able to afford so there's that mm -hmm. side of it too understanding not just on the artistic side and you as a as an artist have to save money but we at the you know the presenters of the world are looking at ways to maximize our opportunity to present acts that are uh, affordable exactly exactly well this is a topic that i think is important and, and again you know if you able to just like Snorky Puppy, they got themselves booked. They started performing and doing very well. Then they, then they attracted the attention of a professional manager slash agent. But until that time happens for you as an artist, you've got to have those skills. So I hope today's session was was helpful in terms of, of inspiring you uh, to learn how to do this. I would also point you to Angela Beeching's book, Beyond Talent. Which in, in, in her book and also our book too. I mean, we, we talk about ways that one could go about tackling these kinds of activities of, of booking for yourself, booking for your ensemble, knowing how to speak on the phone, knowing how to have your collateral materials. All of those things are absolutely crucial. And speaking of our book, we really haven't promoted that much, but just for those who are interested, it's called The Artist Entrepreneur Finding Success in a New Arts Economy. So it's available out there if someone is interested in, in uh, pursuing this in, in a more, uh, in, in a written format. 
Well, anyway, we're about done for today, Ron. It's been fun. As always. Thank you so much, Rick. Feeding the starving artist. That's what we do. That's what we do. We'll see you soon. Bye.